The following message is from the Church at Greer Station. For more information, visit tcgreerstation.com. So a question I want us to, to, to ask from the start tonight is what are the scriptures primarily for? What do they tell us? Why do we read them? Why do we care about them? One thing we ask potential new members, so um, anybody that's, that's considering coming into membership, they fill out a, a member introduction form, and one of the questions we ask is, what is your view of the Bible? Because this is a vital question for Christians. And there can be many different answers, uh, many different ways that, that people may go about answering this, some of them better, some of them worse. Uh, some may say this is a spiritual roadmap through life. It's the living words of God. It's written by men and breathed out by God. It's the holy inspired word of God. It's a mirror to reveal our sin. It's the way the Lord communicates. Tonight I wanted to read uh, from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, question number three. So very early on about kind of why do we have the scriptures? The question is, what do the scriptures principally teach? And the answer is, the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. So the Bible does tell us what to do, but the Bible primarily tells us about who God is and tells us about his character. It is God's word that reveals himself. And so our passage tonight, it teaches us foundational truths about who God is. And there is nothing better for our souls than thinking and dwelling on the nature and character of God. And so I pray that these verses are just rich and we would go away praying them, singing them, meditating on them and letting them refresh our hearts. Now, Psalm 121 is in the middle of, of a song book that's called the Song of Ascents, Psalm 120 to 134. These are songs that are sung on the journey to the temple in Jerusalem where Israelites will worship and praise God during certain feasts throughout the year. And so they're going to sing about who God is, and this is going to serve to help them grow in their love for God, to remind, them, remind themselves about truths of who God is. And then for us, it's going to remind ourselves about who God is, who Jesus is, and it's going to help us through our spiritual journey with the Lord. So let's read Psalm 121, verse 1 and 2. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So one thing to note in verses one and two, you'll, you'll notice first person, so I and my. And then verses three through eight, you're gonna notice second person, you and your. And most likely this means that in verses one and two, there's a young, inexperienced pilgrim uh, then in verses three through eight, there's a seasoned, experienced pilgrim who's going to encourage and talk to the inexperienced pilgrim about who God is and about what he can expect on this journey. Now, I don't know how often you hear of this psalm. I, I feel like I hear this, this verse one, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? 
fairly regularly. And we would often maybe think of this psalm as as something like lifting our eyes up. We're going to lift our eyes to heaven and we're going to see that God is there. And then ask where our help comes from. But the hills are actually part of the issue for the young pilgrim. He is seeing very, very likely physical hills. Psalm 125, verse 2. So you just flip over probably a page or two. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forevermore. So Psalm 125, verse 2 confirms that Jerusalem is in a mountainous area. It's probably 2,500 feet above sea level. The hills show a difficult pilgrimage for the young uh, pilgrim. And so he's nervous because the mountains are a cover for mobs and thieves. So verse one is almost a a negative statement. I see those hills. I see the difficulty ahead of me. And so then he asks, where is my help going to come? Now, a lot of us are probably asking a similar question even in, in this season. We see difficulties ahead of us. Maybe we're in difficulties right now, work difficulties, marital difficulties, relational strife, health struggles, feeling like we're in a place that we just can't dig ourselves out of. Maybe we are spiritually dry in this season. We're just going through the motions. We're anxious about money. And maybe you're wondering, where am I going to get help? And so verse two is one of my favorite verses in the Psalms. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, this totally other being who formed and created the mountains and the valleys, the trees and the flowers, man and woman, animal and plant, everything we see, everything we know, he's the one who's going to be this pilgrim's help. The Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, helps, protects, guides, cares for, and preserves the pilgrim and us. This is a God who is both personal and powerful. Now, Trevor and I have both uh, previously, over the last couple of years, shared uh, this tweet. And it's, it's meant to be uh, an atheist who's essentially making fun, kind of laughing at Christianity. So it says, Christianity Belief that one God created a universe 13.79 billion years old, 93 billion light years in diameter, or one light year, approximately 6 trillion miles, consisting of over 200 billion galaxies, each containing an average of 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. And so maybe maybe some of these numbers we, we can debate and discuss and try to figure out, but this is how mighty our God is, only to have a personal relationship with you. Uh, With Audrey, so I I have um, two kids. One was born about two and a half weeks ago. Thank you guys so much for your prayers, your encouragement, your meals, your texts, your visits. All of it has been super helpful. But with my my older uh, daughter, Audrey, um, we just started trying to do this very basic catechism. She can only pretty much give one word answers, so it's gotta be a one word answer. Um, so we just started maybe last week. Uh, the first question that we did was, who made you? And so she'll, she'll try to say as best she can, God. Who made you? God. 
And then I'll ask her, what else did God make? And then she'll spread her arms really wide and she'll go, all. Essentially meaning he created all. And these two very simple questions with very simple answers are totally amazing. God created everything and everyone all of the earth, all of the planets, all of the universes, galaxies. I don't even know how to speak appropriately about space. I don't know if there's many galaxies or universes or whatever. I don't know. Justin's smiling over there. He could probably speak better to it. There's a lot out there, and our God created it all, and yet he does all of that to have a personal relationship with you. He gives our smallest interest attention. He is infinite, and therefore, he's able to care for each and every one of us. He didn't just create everything and step away. That would be deism. But he is a theistic God. He is God who is intimately involved in every way in our daily lives. And all of the language in Psalm 121 is singular. So we're going to dive into verses 3 through 8. The you, your, in English... It's hard to know. Is it plural or is it singular? In Hebrew, it's much easier to know. They're all singular. So speaking very intimately, this older pilgrim is going to speak very intimately to this younger pilgrim about how God is going to help him. So verses one and two, kind of the key point we see is God who made heaven and earth is also our personal helper. In thinking about kind of that statement. I was, uh, b- before doing some prep work yesterday, uh, Samuel's about two and a half weeks old. He was just sleeping. And so I just laid down and just watched him for about 10 minutes. And he was making all sorts of funny faces and kind of going all over the place and uh, just sleeping and enjoying uh, life and enjoying that refreshment. And then I was just sitting there thinking, this is, this is my son. He comes for me and I will help him. I will help him right now all the time, changing diapers, blew out a diaper earlier today, you know, got poop all over me, but it's okay, we cleaned it up. But I'm gonna help him. And in many ways, God perfectly watches over us. He protects us, he cares for his children. And so he's the creator, he's the sustainer of everyone and everything. And he's also our personal helper. So verses three through eight, we see this experienced pilgrim giving some encouragement to the younger pilgrim. Verses three and four, my main point there is we wanna see that God's help never tires. God's help never tires. Let's read verses three and four. He will not let your foot be moved. This is speaking of the maker of heaven and earth. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will will neither slumber nor sleep. God will not let your foot be moved. Again, the maker of heaven and earth is deeply personal. He cares about the pilgrim's feet and where they're gonna be on the journey. God will not slumber. God does not grow weary in his care for us. He does not rest. In 1 Kings 18, there's this very funny interaction between the prophet Elijah and the prophets of Baal. 
And so they each have a bull and they're trying to have the bull catch on fire to essentially prove who is the true God. They're not going to make fire with anything. They're just going to kind of pray over it, prophesy over it, and fire's going to come and the bull's going to get lit up. They've even uh, maybe poured some water on it. And so they're, they're, they're trying to see whose God is the true God. And so the prophets of Baal, they call out, they call out, they call out, and they get no answer. And so 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 27, Elijah essentially uh, mocks the prophets of Baal. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing or he is relieving himself or he is on a journey or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And so Elijah is saying this to the prophets of Baal, to, to people who do not know the one true God. This is not our God. He never slumbers nor sleep. He does not need to be awakened. He is always with us. So God's help never tires. Verses five and six, God's help provides constant shade. God's help provides constant shade. Let's read verses five and six. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord is your keeper. So this word, in in some form or another, keeper, is used six times in Psalm 121. Verse 3, God personally keeps you. Verse 4, God corporately keeps Israel. And then verse 5, God personally keeps you, keeps the pilgrim. And a keeper is someone who guards or watches or who protects from danger. So God provides shade from the perils. He's always watching. He's providing constant protection. He's not wavering. He guides his sheep and he intimately cares for them. God's help provides constant shade. He's always there to cover you, to love you, and to shepherd you along. And then verses seven and eight, God's help is all encompassing. Let's look at these verses. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So notice again, the word keep is used three times in these verses, but they're all used in the future tense. The Lord will keep, he will keep, the Lord will keep. He will preserve, he will keep safe, he will watch over, and he will protect, even in the midst of the scary mountains. For us, he he will keep you from all evil. He will keep your whole life, your going out, and your coming in. Now, verse 7 is a point of tension. It may raise some questions. Beginning in verse seven says, the Lord will keep you from all evil. Now, how can this be true? I think we could all articulate evil is just all around us, daily, hourly, right next to us, and then spreads throughout the world. Now, one of the most helpful ways to go about reading the scripture is for scripture to interpret scripture. That's something we want to talk about regularly. We want scripture to interpret scripture. So in light of other scriptures, we know that the Lord does not promise a comfortable and easy life for the pilgrim where there's no ounce of evil. 
Let's look at a few uh, verses, a couple of verses, one from the Psalms and one from uh, the New Testament. Psalm 9, verse 9. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Now, why would that verse be there if there weren't going to, at some point, be times of trouble? So this very verse seems to insinuate there will be some trouble. There may be some evil out there. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. God comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And kind of very similarly, these verses imply that affliction will be there. We should even share in the sufferings of Christ, but we'll find abundant comfort in Christ in our affliction. A number of us uh, this summer with the ladies read Philippians, and then uh, some of us are, are memorizing it now. Paul is in prison when he's writing Philippians. He's facing trouble and problems and evil. We will experience evil. Jesus experienced the greatest of evils. God keeping us from evil is more than him simply preventing evil. He watches over us. He promises his continual presence and ultimate victory over sin, death, and the devil. He will protect us from being turned over to evil because for those who are in Christ, we are ultimately resurrected like Christ is resurrected. Romans 6, uh, verse 23 Uh, says that sin brings evil. It brings death. Sin deserves death. It deserves eternal separation from God. But then Romans 8, God promises differently to those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.18 tells us that there are sufferings and difficulties in this life, but they're not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed when we are with Christ. And then Romans 8, verses 35, and then 38 through 39. It says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, all of these things, evil and terrible, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Evil will come, but may God get the glory for how we trust in his care and help. Now you have experienced evil in this world. And that may have left you hopeless at different times or even now. But there is also evil inside each and every one of us that needs to be addressed. We all deserve death. That is the wage of our sin. Therefore, it is only God's mercy that keeps us alive at this very moment. We deserve death. Evil is not meant to develop doubt in God but it actually shows that there is fundamentally good and evil, that there is a moral lawgiver. Evil also calls us to repentance. 
D.A. Carson says they are incentives to repent. Evil is a megaphone that calls attention to our guilt and our destination, to the rapidly approaching righteous judgment and damnation that is coming if we do not repent. D.A. Carson, we're going to have a quote on the screen. He, he writes on Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, which is maybe the clearest place where Jesus speaks on the problem of evil. He says, disaster is a call to repentance. Jesus might have added, as he does elsewhere, that peace and tranquility, which we do not deserve, show us God's goodness and forbearance. It is a mark of our lostness that we invert these two. We think we deserve the times of blessing and prosperity, and that the times of war and disaster or evil are not only unfair, but comparisonly close to calling into question God's goodness or his power, even perhaps his very existence. Jesus simply did not see it that way. You are sinful. I am sinful. You are depraved to your very core. The same is true of me. We do not deserve anything but death and separation from God. But the Lord promises to keep you from the evil that dwells within you as you turn to the beautiful and glorious King Jesus. And he washes us clean. He washes us white as snow. Hardship, evil, wickedness, it lies before you. Just like with the young pilgrim in verse 1, when he sees the hills. But this evil also lies within you. So we ask, from where does your help come? Where are you going to get help? The promises made in Psalm 121 are for the believer. God is our help. He will keep and uphold us, both our going out and our coming in, now and forevermore. We are to look to the ultimate hill where ultimate pain and evil were experienced. The hill that Christ died upon, where he was crucified upon the cross. But this hill of evil and wretchedness is also the hill of redemption. It's where we most clearly see God's help. Jesus, God incarnate, by whom all things were created, Colossians 1, he went up on the hill and was crucified on the tree to reconcile and redeem us. And he was raised again. 1 Corinthians 15 says our faith is not in vain because Christ has been raised. We experience the new life when we repent and turn from our sin and trust in the perfect and finished work of Jesus Christ. Believer, I, I pray that you would find great encouragement from God's help, that God is with you every day. And I pray that daily, hourly, moment by moment, you will preach to yourself and pray to God the words of truth that fill Psalms like Psalm 121 or fill the scripture. We need these truths and we need to remind ourselves of these truths all of the time. I was thinking for myself, my, my last two sermons uh, have been on essentially money and, and sex. Obviously, very good topics, things we need to discuss, things we need to, to get a hold of. We need to know what God says. But there is nothing better for our souls 
than to remind us who God is, to dwell and to delight in who Jesus is. We need scriptures like Psalm 121 to help us know what to believe about God and help us worship him. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we adore you. And yet, Father, our hearts do not worship you properly. Our hearts are filled with sin. Our hearts are wayward. Lord, we trust in our own abilities, our own power. We see the sin in others. We see the sin in our spouse, in our children, in our parents, in our coworkers, in our friends, even in church members and, and pastors. And yet, Lord, it is so hard to see our own depravity and our own brokenness. Lord, I pray that tonight we would find great delight in you. That you are the maker of heaven and earth. You are the one who will not let our foot be moved. You neither slumber nor sleep. You have been working for all of eternity. You are infinite. You are unchanging. You will not let the sun strike us by day nor the moon by night. And you will ultimately keep us from evil as we turn to Jesus. Lord, we long for the day when all sad things will be made untrue and we can be in the presence of Christ. But we thank you so much for the spirit that dwells within us, the spirit that is moving and shaping our hearts. Lord, let us define great delight in you, in your character, in your attributes, in the word that speaks clearly about you. And Father, we thank you for allowing us these few minutes that we've had to study your scripture. I pray it would change us and that we would love you more.